0: This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fannick, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide episode 545. Thanks for joining us. Glad you could join us once again. Thank you for listening. My name is Stephen Fennick. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. Now, apologies for there not being a show last week. Unfortunately, I was ill uh, and was in no condition to record that episode. So uh, I had the week off, but I'm feeling fine and back on air with you guys right now. On this week's show, Ford has its uh, all-electric Mustang SUV heading to Australia. Apple has confirmed the date for Worldwide Developers Conference 2023 and we'll talk about what we can expect to see and the NBN is offering faster speeds for regional Australians. In the Tech Guide reviews, we get behind the wheel of the Tesla Model Y performance. We take a listen to the new Sonos ERA 100 and ERA 300 speakers and we'll talk about a new robot that can clean your windows, and we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide Help Desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, we've just had the Australian Grand Prix over the weekend, and Ford took the opportunity in the lead-up to the actual race, so last Thursday, to unveil its all-new Mustang Mark E SUV. So this is the new all-electric passenger vehicle. It's it's Ford's first all-electric passenger vehicle uh, released by Ford Australia. And it's going to have three variants and will obviously offer an amazing driving experience and a lot of technology on board as well. But at its essence, Ford is saying it still maintains its Mustang heritage. Uh, It was unveiled at the Formula One by Aussie driver, Daniel Ricciardo. He was on hand to make that announcement and this is a an SUV, so it is, it doesn't, it's not a sedan, so it, it actually, it looks a lot like the Tesla Model Y that we're going to talk about a little bit later with that sort of larger rear section of the car, uh, so uh, it, it is the, it is an SUV, that happens to be one of the most popular segments of the car market, and uh, a very popular, very popular choice I think to, for Ford to offer this up as their first all-electric passenger vehicle Uh, before the end of the year. Release time, they're saying, is before year's end. So we're assuming that's going to be quarter four. Uh, So anytime, October, November, December. Uh, But they are promising it will reach Australians uh, before the end of the year. Australians and and New Zealanders too. They're going to get this model also. Uh, So it, it is, though, this is Ford leaning on a really special part of the brand. The Mustang brand is... Uh, something that's been very popular with Australian customers, and there's no doubt that this EV version of the Mustang, the Mark E, will also offer that same thrill. Now, I mentioned there are going to be three variants for the car, so you're going to have your traditional GT model, there'll also be the select and premium variants as well. Let's talk about, though, what the flagship GT model is going to serve up. It's going to have a 91-kilowatt-hour battery, dual electric motors. It's going to have a range of 490 kilometers, and it's going to get you 0 to 100 in just 3.7 seconds, which are all very impressive stats right there. And that speed, 0 to 100 in 3.7 seconds, will make it the fastest accelerating vehicle Ford has ever offered in Australia. So that's gonna gonna give it give it a little bit of a kick. Now, what's also on board is a feature called Magna Ride, and this is uh, it's it's a, a suspension technology as well as performance brakes on this car as well. Because you go from zero to one hundred in three point seven seconds, you want to have a really good set of performance brakes to be able to slow you down a little bit. The uh, other models, as I said, Select and Premium, uh, they, they will they along with the GT, of course, all models will come with the uh, special Untame Drive mode. Now this is a mode that improves acceleration and braking and offers a, a refined steering response, so you can really uh, give it a give it a little bit. But all in, on the inside, of course, Ford of presenting a pretty comfortable and luxurious cabin uh, in the centre of the car, as is now customary with EVs, especially Teslas, is a massive screen, a 15.5 inch infotainment screen which runs Ford's very own SYNC 4 operating system. Now, there will also be a 10.2-inch digital cluster right in front of the steering wheel, of course. And there's going to be also 10-speaker Bang & Olufsen sound system. So it's really ticking all the boxes for those amazing features you'd want in a car. So EV, big tick, Though those stats, 91-kilowatt battery, 490-kilometer range, Zero to 100 in 3.7 seconds. That's that's up there, uh, as well as that amazing 15.5-inch screen, 10.2-inch digital cluster. So it is, uh, and that speaker system. Wow, Bang & Olufsen 10-speaker sound system. Uh, this is going to sound uh, tremendous. This car. Now, question is, of course, how much is it going to cost? And Ford have not released that information. Their only comment is that the full list of features for those other variants, remember I told you the selected premium variants, yet to be announced. And of course, yet also to be announced is pricing. Pricing, they say, Ford says, will be revealed closer to launch date. So it's probably months away before they announce pricing for the uh, the Ford, and, and I'm pretty sure you can't order it just yet. So I think it'll go – it'll be offered for customers, I think, to to place orders so that it does make the end of the year. But it just does add another choice for drivers who are looking to move into an EV. Uh, so you've, you've got, of course, your Teslas. There's the MG range of cars. You've got BYD, uh, Kia, all these brands, and Mercedes-Benz with the EQE, they've got all these brands now coming forward with their electric vehicles and not just brands like Tesla, BYD, Polestar. They're only offering EVs, but you've got your other brands. You've got Mercedes-Benz, Audi, uh, Ford, we're just talking about. These are established car brands that are now electrifying their range, as is Volvo, uh, all these other, Renault, all these other brands that are bringing forward their EVs, so it is a, a real. There's a lot of choice now. I think for for drivers, cost I think is still a little bit out of most drivers' reach. But I think with this competition, with with more EVs uh, are, are offering on offer for sale in Australia, it is going to create that competition, and, and I think that the company that can nail the price with the features is going to win a lot of customers. I think there are a lot of customers waiting for the right offer. They're waiting for there to be a car that's in their wheelhouse, in their price range, that offers the the features, offers the, offers everything they need. And I think that the cost being the number one thing that's, that's keeping them back, I think that there is there are opportunities for for car companies to really win over customers if they do deliver a model at the right price now i think just looking at those specs of the ford the the ford mustang the the mark e mustang the gt model i'd say i'd be very surprised if that was less than 90,000 australian dollars it's probably going to be even more expensive than that i think it might even be a a 100k plus vehicle where the select and the premium variants, were perhaps going to be the more you, around the sixty to seventy, perhaps even eighty thousand dollar range. So I think if you, I don't, I don't foresee the Ford, the marquee Mustang EV being in the, on the affordable, more affordable side of the of the ledger. Uh, whereas you've got brands like the like MG Motor who have their their ZS EV uh, which is le- less than fifty thousand dollars, BYD also less than fifty and doing great business as is MG. So there there is room for that affordable car. Don't think it's going to be the Ford, but there are plenty of other models that are heading our way that could very well uh, be your next vehicle. That could could meet meet all your criteria and be at the right price. If you want to read more about the Ford Mustang Mark e EV that's heading our way, you can check it out, techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated, Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. Uh, big news from Apple a few days ago. They have confirmed the 2023 Worldwide Developers Conference will kick off on June 5, which is early June 6, Australian Eastern Standard Time. So uh, it is going to be an online format event as well, but there will be a special in-person event at Apple Park as well. That's what they did in 2022. uh, And they are going to, by the sounds of it, offer the same setup for... Worldwide Developers Conference because traditionally it used to be held – in San Jose, I've been. I've attended Worldwide Developers Conference for more than ten years, and it's usually. It's. It's obviously was pre-COVID. It was a an in-person event where developers had to pay to get it, get themselves there, be able to interact with with Apple developers and engineers, and present, hear the, all the latest news about the new software. Because don't forget, it's a developers conference, so they'll hear the updates for iPhone iOS 17, iPad OS 17, macOS, uh, uh, Watch OS 10. Uh, they'll also have the Apple TV OS. So they're hearing all the new software features that are going to be part of the new versions of those of that software, the operating systems, and they'll want to then be able to. To utilise those new features and abilities in their own apps, that that's why it's called the developers conference. And there, Apple really have a, a huge developer ecosystem. That are extremely uh, powerful in terms of the what what they create and the ability for them to share their work through the app store. It is it is quite a setup for developers. So the we've seen the app economy is exploding around the world, including here in Australia. And and this is a, an event that is very much a very important event on their calendar. It's uh, I think cost wise, I think Apple realized that they can still have the event, albeit online developers can still get as much out of it as they could with them on the ground now on the ground of course they had a lot of uh, a lot of networking and and being able to actually be here in person to talk to apple in person but they are still getting all of those benefits with the event being online and it's free as well for for developers because when it was an in person event it cost them they had to get themselves here it was had to pay big money for the tickets and it's it's a uh it was quite, a, quite a, a, a bit of spend there, uh, but I think Apple have realized that they're, they're saving money themselves, the developers are saving money themselves, yet still getting the result, the desired result out of having it online anyway. So they're still getting that same, that's the ability to take part in sessions and to also interact with Apple engineers. So they're still getting that ability. Now, what can we expect to see? We, of course, know we're going to see the latest iPhone software, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, but there are several whispers around about what else we may be able to see. Now, at past Worldwide Developers Conferences, we have seen product announced, not just software. Uh, I've been at many of these uh, WWDCs and seen laptops and speakers and all kinds of products announced at the event. And this year, the biggest rumours seem to be around uh, to a couple of new products. There's talk of a 15-inch MacBook Air. So, tradition the traditional MacBook Air has only ever been uh, offered it a, as a 13-inch, 13.6-inch to be uh, to be uh, or 13.3-inch, or 13-inch model to be precise, but the rumor is there could be a 15.5-inch MacBook Air, which imagine that, having the thin and light model in a screen size that you would need to, before this, uh, have to buy a Pro model to get a screen of that size. So I think that's a really good move, a smart move. That would really lift uh, lift sales in the MacBook Air department, absolutely. Now, uh, the, other, the other big talk is about, around the Mac Pro, now, this was another Worldwide Developers Conference announcement a few years ago. And what we're waiting for here is for Apple Silicon to come on board and replace the Intel chip. So if you buy MacBook, Mac Pro today, which is a standalone desktop computer, it is still running Intel Silicon. And Apple have said in the past, it's going to take several or a couple of years to transition all of their computers over to their own Silicon. So we've seen the M1, and now we have M2. These are the chips I'm talking about. So perhaps the new Apple Silicon Mac Pro could be announced as well. And we're up to M2, and there's M2 Max, M2 Ultra. So imagine the power of these computers. But where does that put the Mac Studio? They they announced that a year ago. The first Mac Studio, which was a standalone, like a Mac Mini on steroids – but aimed at the pro market, uh, it used the M1 Max and M1 Ultra chips. So you'd think it's been a year, then that'd be a no brainer that they're going to put an M2 in there. I-, I currently run a Mac Studio M1 Max machine right now. I'm, I'm using that, that's part of my setup here to record this podcast. But uh, it'd be interesting to see if they do actually come up with an M2 Mac Studio and where that would stand against the Mac Pro. If, if that in turn earned an M2 chip as well. So interesting to see what Apple comes up with. Now, the other massive, massive rumor and has been around for a while is the, is the Apple AR VR headset. We've been talking about this, I think for five years, there's been talk of a AR VR mixed reality headset. Now, what better time to announce this product and give developers something to develop for than at the Worldwide Developers Conference. Can you imagine if Apple decided to, maybe just to unveil the headset, and, and no doubt there'll be a, the VR OS, whatever OS is running on this thing, that will also be a chance to, A, introduce the OS, B, give us maybe a sneak peek at the device if, if they don't actually reveal it in full, but it would really it would really gee up the developers knowing that oh hang on we've got this other thing we can develop for now and the talk around this is so positive even from competing vr companies they are they can't wait for apple to put out a vr headset because it's going to bring so much attention to vr and ar and so it's the whole rising tide lifting all boats theory here, where once Apple gets involved in something, it validates it, and it's it, it's really customers will suddenly think, wow, how good's this VR? Apple are doing it, must be good. That 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 seems to have been the effect I've seen over the years. Apple have often had that effect on customers. I recall when Apple released the uh, iPhone eight and the iPhone ten back in twenty seventeen. And I can recall these these were the first two phones that had wireless charging. And I can remember customers saying, or some of my readers saying, "Oh, how how amazing is this? They have wireless charging. And these are, these are people who've used nothing but Apple products. So they don't know what other products allow. And I, my response was, well, uh, Samsung's actually been using this wireless charging for a few years now, probably four or five years even at that point. So you can just imagine with all the VR headsets and companies that are out there already, when Apple put their hat in the ring, it's going to validate the technology and it's going to make people more aware of the technology. Now, the thing that I'm hearing as well is that this is not, if and when this comes out, the VR headset is not going to be cheap. We're talking, I've read it could be between 3000 and 4000 US dollars, which is, that's like 5000 Australian dollars. Don't know if that's true or not, but I, uh, Apple, I don't think, are capable of making a cheap device. Their phones, even, that they, they don't have a cheap phone because they can't make a cheap phone, just like they can't make a uh, cheap VR headset and cheap laptops. All their laptops are well over 1500 bucks. Other companies can, can punch out a Windows laptop for less than 1000 from all these different companies, but Apple just can't do that. They just can't make something cheap. And the VR headset, by all accounts, by all the rumors, I should say, uh, is is not going to be a cheap device either. So that's Worldwide Developers Conference, uh, looking forward to that in early June. So uh, there will be the keynote, of course, early morning, June six, our time, and that's when all the announcements will be made. And then, of course, developers can take part in the, the four-day event, having their daily sessions and and interacting with Apple engineers and testing their code and doing all of that at the Worldwide Developers Conference, which kicks off June 5, June 6 in Australia. If you want to read more about WWDC 2023, check it out at techguide.com.au. Now you know the famous line in Top Gun is when Tom Cruise turns to Goose and says, "I feel the need, the need for speed." Well, that's something that regional Australians have been saying for quite a while, especially uh, when the since since the NBN had been rolled out and they were not really getting the speeds that they were that they were they were hoping for. They were served by. A satellite system like the SkyMuster system, which really didn't didn't do very well in terms of speeds and performance. Uh, it's not like you can run fibre to all these remote places around Australia. Well, NBN has decided now to uh, improve the situation. By offering uh, the faster speeds to regional Australians using the NBN fixed wireless network, so this is basically a, a cellular network that they've created for regional Australians, where they can receive the signals, so it'd be four G speeds, which is way better than what they've got in the in through the satellite, uh, to twenty four thousand homes and businesses in the first phase. So this is remote and regional areas around Australia. Uh, This is part of the $750 million investment. This is uh, partly Australian government and also the rest chipped in from the NBN's profits itself. So this is part of that investment, which is starting with just the 24,000 homes and businesses, but also adding another 120,000 homes in the near future. So we are seeing a huge improvement for regional Australians who have long suffered the slow speeds that speeds that they couldn't. that was pre-NBN type speeds and performance. So really good to see that uh, the the upgrades for regional Australians. NBN is saying that they expect the the all to be completed around the end of 2024. Uh, to give them way better performance for their for their NBN, so better bang for their buck. There has been a lot of p- people in regional Australia have used uh, Starlink, which is Elon Musk's company, where you have a satellite dish and it uh, it then connects to satellites in low Earth orbit. And can give you speeds well over 100 megabits per second to any place on Earth. You can be in the middle of nowhere and get that speed. Now that's all well and good, and the people who have paid the money for the service are very happy with it. But it is it is quite expensive. You've got to pay upfront for the equipment, the satellite dish, the modem, all of that stuff. Then you've got to pay your monthly fee, which is around 120 to 140 bucks a month to get these sorts of speeds, which are on average about 120, 140 megabits per second. So getting the result, but you're paying for it. Now with these new fixed wireless networks in, in regional areas, they'll probably be getting around 100 megabits per second, if not more, depending on where they are, of course, but it's going to be a massive improvement of what, of what they had previously. So moving in the right direction, uh, it is it is taking a little bit of time, but It's Australia. You got to remember, Australia is such a large country. It's not like smaller countries that can just put fiber everywhere. We are such a big nation, and not everyone lives in these regional areas. So, I think the the solution they've come up here with the fixed wireless networks, I think, is going to be a massive improvement. It's it's not like having fiber to the premises where you get a gigabit per second, but wireless technology is improving, 4G, one day 5G and and so on, you're going to see those improvements and those speeds are going to improve well into the future. If you want to read more about those upgrades, check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. And now, a tech guide review with Stephen Fennec. Well, it's a very EV centric show this week because I spoke at the top of the show about the new Ford Mark E Mustang EV, the SUV. And I'm talking about another electric SUV, and that happens to be the Tesla Model Y Performance. Now, I've driven the initial Tesla Model Y. And that was the rear-wheel drive model, so uh, it it was a story because it's the new Tesla model, but didn't quite have the the credentials of the performance model, say of the Model Three. So now, Model Y from Tesla has now is now being offered. The very first models now being offered in Australia of the performance iteration of the vehicle. Now outwardly the cars look almost identical so the uh it's this is an all-electric mid-size SUV it looks I mentioned at the top of the show that the Ford the marquee Mustang SUV similar sort of larger rear boot and storage space in the back same with the uh the bubbly sort of rear end of the model Y which has a similar similar look to the in the front as the model three but The Model Y sits a little bit higher off the ground, has a bit more headroom, more storage space, so it's more down your SUV path. Uh, But as I said, design-wise, Model Y rear-wheel drive to Model Y performance, virtually the same. Outwardly, performance does come with better wheels. It's got a 21-inch Uber turbine wheels. You do also have the uh, red uh, red performance brakes as well. You can see them through the wheel. You also have sl- the suspension has been lowered slightly and there is a carbon fiber spoiler on the back as well, this little spoiler. But uh, apart from that, look, looks the same as the rear wheel drive uh, Model Y. Now, inside the car, also looks virtually identical. You've still got that amazing huge screen, really minimal look. There's no uh, there's no cluster in front of the steering wheel. It's all driven from the central screen inside. Uh, and, and it is uh, pretty roomy inside too. Like for the driver, the passenger, the rear passengers have plenty of room. A bit of headroom as well above the driver. Like I'm six foot one and there was still plenty of room above my head for the all glass roof you do get the uh, aluminum pedals on the performance model but it's under the hood where you see the difference and it's called performance for a reason hello it's because you're getting better performance now with the the rear wheel drive model it was obviously the the specs weren't as as high well, that's the reason that the difference didn't have the performance specs. Now, just to refresh your memory, the rear wheel drive model, which meant that it only had a motor on the rear axle. Performance is dual motor, all wheel drive. So that's the difference. Motor on each axle, performance model, rear wheel drive, motor on the rear axle only. Rear wheel drive model had a range of 455 kilometers, had a top speed of 217 kilometers, and went zero to hundred in six point nine seconds. Not too shabby. The Model Y R uh, uh, rear-wheel drive starts at sixty-nine thousand three hundred Australian dollars, and if you add enhanced autopilot and you decide for a, a different colour and different interior, that could then that'll take t- take the price up to uh, an on-road price of you know, several thousand dollars more. Now moving up to the Model Y performance, which by the way starts at ninety five thousand three hundred bucks, which uh, if you do your math real quick, uh, it's about twenty six thousand dollars more than the than the previous. So twenty six thousand more than the rear wheel drive. But for your money, you all, you get. I mentioned the out the, the the exterior features. You get the better tires, uh, the better wheels, I should say. Performance brakes, the carbon fiber spoiler. You get the slightly lowered suspension, the aluminium pedals, but you get the performance. Now, the difference here with the performance model is suddenly your range is 514 kilometers. A top speed is now 250 kilometers per hour, and the 0 to 100 is 3.7 seconds which is a lot faster than 6.9 seconds. So it is much faster from a standing start, 3.7 seconds, and no, no doubt that's why they include the performance brakes because, as I said with the Ford, if you can go zero to 103.7 seconds, you want to be able to hit the anchors pretty smoothly and uh, get, you, get you slowing down pretty quickly, and that's why. So you, you, you're paying that extra money, for some exterior features, very little interior difference, and but the performance is what you're paying for. So better range, 514Ks, that's up from the 455 range, 250 kilometers an hour top speed, that's up from 217 kilometers an hour, and zero to 100 in 3.7 compared to 6.9. So, performance, it's all in the performance, all under the hood, where you will see and feel and live the difference. Uh, and as I said, it is $26,000 more from the starting price of the rear wheel drive. $95,300 is the starting price. And I think the model we drove, which had all the bells and whistles, enhanced autopilot, had everything in it white seats and gray, uh, it was midnight silver color. So I think on the road, you're going to pay about $110,000 for the Model Y performance. Now, drives, fantastic. It's really smooth, really got got really improved suspension as well. Uh, it is, uh, you, uh, what I like about it is you, you, you're slightly higher off the ground. Uh, I know with my, I drive the Model S um, and it is like drive, sitting on the road. It's really low car, as is the Model 3, a lot, not as low as the Model S, but lower than the Model Y. Uh, It does give you a nice elevated position and you really good vision out of all the windows. Even for your rear passengers who sit slightly higher than the front passengers, they can see quite well from the glass through the glass roof and through the windows. It does offer a, a comfortable ride. Uh the it, it is, I, I said in my review, it, it is offers a real sure footed drive. It's got those suspend the suspensions improved, so you're you know, it irons out those speed humps and bumps and stuff. So uh that's pretty cool. The the uh, the minimal design, not everyone's a fan of that. Uh the 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 screen is where you control everything and monitor everything and all the settings are there. There's, there were no buttons in this car apart from the to open, to to roll your windows up and down, not roll, but electric, uh, to open and close your windows and the buttons on the steering wheel. But that's it. There's nothing else in the car because it's all through that screen. Plenty of room in the back as well. Big enough, we tested it, of course, how to put fit the golf clubs in there. Uh, they did fit in there as well as our our elect- all-electric mini buggy. We could fit that in there also. Uh, so that's pretty cool. In the front as well, like the front space, the front trunk space, that is enough room there for you to put luggage in there, your shopping. That's pretty good. In the back, I should mention that there is also like what, what you see when you open the back of the car, there is also a little door where you can store stuff even underneath that because there's no spare tire in a Tesla. No spare. No electric car has a spare tire. You'll, you'll notice. So if you do have a flat, go to call roadside assistance and they'll bring you a, a new tire and take yours to be repaired. It's happened to me twice in my in five years. They've been driving a Tesla with my Model S. That's happened to me twice. I've had to call and get uh, a tire and then I go to the service center and to get my my repaired tire put back on the car. So what they give you is a loaner. Then they repair your car or, or repair your tire or in the in, in what happened to me, the tire couldn't be repaired. I had to pay six hundred for a new tire. So uh, that was that was uh, unfortunate, but it's still though there is that service to bring you a tire. Hopefully you don't get a spare tire in the middle of nowhere because it's gonna take a while to get it. But uh, luckily for me, it was in uh, it was here at home, but also uh, at it was actually a 2GB one one night. And I had to bring it into the car park at 2GB and replace my tire. Fun and games. But the Model Y, uh, of course, electric car you need to have. There's an optional charger you can purchase. There are plenty of chargers around. The Tesla supercharger network, Is there's a few places around Sydney and other, other metro areas, Melbourne, Brisbane, there's a lot of them. Uh, but the... Around the country, the supercharger network is pretty vast. So if you're going from Sydney to Melbourne, Sydney to Brisbane, wherever you happen to be traveling, you can go and charge your car along the way just using superchargers. And that's not even including all the other community chargers in car parks and hotels and wineries and that that you can use that work with the Model Y, these type two chargers that allow you to do it. Uh, It's a whole new discussion about whether you're ready for an EV. I think the two key things to look at, it's around charging, of course. If you can charge your car at home and if you can charge your car at work or somewhere else where you go quite often, that's half the battle. Uh, everyone faces the same challenges on long drives and hopefully there are charges. The car will tell you where to charge. Uh, but if you can charge your car, if you know you'll be able to car- charge your car, not a problem in your driveway, in your apartment, wherever you happen to live, I reckon that's half the battle. And there are a lot of people who want to drive an EV, but they don't have anywhere to charge it. They, they don't have off-street parking. They're, they might live in an apartment and there's no charger in their apartment. So that could create a bit of a, a bit of difficulty. But I think once you sort that out, if you can have a charger in your own driveway, if you've got a house and you've got off-street parking, you can find it. And then I think it, that'd be the, the ideal time, I think, to look because you want to have that uh, that assurance that you, you know that if you do need a charge, you can charge the car in your own driveway. That is the Tesla Model Y, performance model, uh, some some pretty decent improvements there. You want to see our story and watch our video. We did a video too about the car. You can check all of that out at techguide.com.au. <laughs> Next up, we are talking about the Sonos 100 or Sonos ERA 100 and ERA 300. And I think, as I've said in my review, appropriately called ERA because they are the start of a new era with this brand. These are really good-looking speakers, great-sounding speakers as well, and they really do maintain the appeal of, of Sonos speakers for existing customers. So if you're you're a customer because they, they sound great, you connect them wireless in your house, you've got this wireless network of, of speakers and they tick all those boxes. But they also can appeal to, they can bring new customers to the table as well because they've got a tremendous quality, great connectivity, and uh, they, they, they look and sound amazing. Now, there's two models, the Sonos ERA 100, which is $399. And there's the Sonos ERA 300, which is $749. And as you'd expect, they can stream your audio via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. And you can also connect other devices with an auxiliary cable. So if you want to use the speaker to connect it to a source, you can do that as well. But the uh, Sonos ERA 300 really takes things in a new direction. We'll talk about that in a moment. Let's start with the Sonos Era 100. Now, this is the smaller speaker that really does punch above its weight in terms of sound quality and just the scale of sound. It has a tiny footprint and still produces this vast sound also has, I'm so impressed with the bass out of this little speaker. Now, it's basically a redesigned Sonos One speaker, but it does have improved acoustic performance. There are two angled tweeters and a large mid-woofer. The two angled tweeters can actually create stereo sound, so real left and right output, while the large mid-woofer can really... Give you a level of bass that you'll be looking at this little speaker. Is that sound actually coming from that little thing? It's remarkable. Probably the deepest and best bass I've heard on a speaker of this size. That's how that's how impressive it is. And of course, audio quality is tremendous. It gives uh, it, it does live up to that Sonos quality. But you know what? The Sonos Era three hundred has they've really gone up to another level here, both in terms of design an acoustic performance. Now, what I love about this is that Sonos has really swung for the fences with this one because it does have a rather unique design. It has a little bit of an hourglass shape to it. So it does have the front and the back of the speaker are large and there's like a thinner section in the middle. This is deliberate because it has to accommodate this new acoustic architecture on board. So, The big thing, though, with this speaker is that it offers, is compatible with spatial audio. And we're talking Apple Music, Amazon Music. They now offer spatial audio slash Dolby Atmos on those streaming services. And I've got to say, when we got it working, I don't know why, but the ERA 100, we connected in a minute. Uh, But the era 300, we were having trouble connecting it to our account and the Wi-Fi, and it was it took, uh, I I know, no lie, I reckon it took about half an hour to work out why it wasn't connecting. I I just scrubbed it, started again, and still didn't work, and tried again, and eventually I got it to work. So I'm not, I don't know why it didn't work the first time, but I did eventually get it connected and connected my services, Apple Music and Amazon Music to the app as well, uh, and then, once we started listening to the music, it was an emotional experience, I've got to say. Now, you got to remember, this has the acoustic performance, so it's got up-firing speakers, tweeters, and all this, this structure to handle and to create these different channels and origins for your sound. So with any Dolby Atmos or spatial audio You are hearing multiple layers of the music. It's coming from above you, beside you, and around you, and it is really being creatively used by artists to give you a lot more than just two channels and and a subwoofer. It is really creating this adventurous sound around you. Now, the funny thing is, though, And I played all types of music on this speaker, regular music, like just your normal output, not the non-spatial audio music, I should call it, and the spatial audio slash Dolby Atmos music. Now, most regular tracks sounded amazing. They were really good. But you know what? There were some that sounded, for some reason, they even sounded a little tinny through the era 300. Reason for that, I reckon there wasn't enough for the, the audio, it didn't give the speakers enough to do. There are so many features and, and architecture within the speaker. These particular tracks, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but they said, I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds a little bit thin uh, through the speaker. And I reckon it's because they weren't a challenge for the speaker. They just didn't give it enough to do. I don't know. That might sound strange, but that that was only for a select number of tracks. But when we got to the spatial audio, and there's plenty out there to listen to, I've got to say I was gobsmacked. I really was impressed by the sheer scale of the sound and the layers to the sound. Like I was listening to Jean-Michel Jarre and all the and uh, the Weekend and all their songs in spatial audio that really created this this whole room filling sound so there was these layers and sounds coming from above us and beside us and near us and it was so nuanced as well like every part of it it was like there were several sources there wasn't a speaker in front of us it's like there were speakers scattered around the room that's what it sounded like and and as I said earlier, it really created a deeper emotional connection to your music, especially if you're hearing music that you know very well. Now, if you, if it's, there's a there's a Dolby Atmos version of a song you know very well, and this this is what I was feeling when I was listening to this music, it's like hearing them for the first time again because there was all this detail that I was missing out on before, and that that was suddenly now available in in all its glory. With the the th- thanks to the the Era 300 and its and its Dolby Atmos spatial audio accommodating speaker setup, so just tremendous. Now, what you can do with the Era 300, you can actually pair two of them with the Sonos Arc or Sonos Beam Gen 2 soundbar, so you can actually use them as home theater rear speakers. Would have loved to have done it, I didn't have a I only had one of the Era 300 speakers. But I reckon that would sound amazing. Uh, if it could if it could handle the rear channels of a movie as good as it can handle spatial audio for a song, then it would sound pretty cool. But then you've got to buy two of them. Uh, so that's going to set you back. That's 1500 bucks right there just to buy two of them. It's $749 just for one. So if you're a real Sonos fan and you've already got the Arc or Beam Gen 2, this could be an option. But I think it's, it's probably... It's going to serve you best, I reckon, as just your music speaker. And if you're pumping spatial audio, Dolby Atmos music through it, it's going to be for some music that you really love. It's going to be almost a religious experience. It's going to make you. It'll bring a tear to your eye. But if, especially if it's a favorite song of yours that's now available in spatial audio, Dolby Atmos, that's how strong it is. It's what a shame. One of my favorite songs ever is uh, "Bizarre Love Triangle" by New Order. Sounded amazing on the speaker, but it wasn't available in Dolby Atmos, so uh, it would have sounded tremendous, I think. It sounded good as it was, but in spatial audio, boy, it would have been way better. That is our Sonos ERA 100 and ERA 300 review. If you want to read our complete review, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. We've got all kinds of robots doing our housework for us. Uh, Ecovacs is one of the big brands, uh, Roborock. You can see there's plenty of uh, of vacuum brands, robot vacuums already out there. But Ecovacs, while already having pretty solid uh, robot vacuums and mops, they've added to their portfolio with a new robot called the WinBot W1 Pro. Now, this is a robot to clean your windows. So this incorporates the same cleaning and suction technology and the smarts of the system to navigate your windows the same way as it would navigate your floor. So there is a tether involved here. So there is so the the it's not going to fall off the fall off the window and hurt people. So there is a safety safety feature built in. But it can go if you've got big windows, you might have big sliding doors, you might have a glass shower you might have glass uh, pool fence, you might have a glass balcony, the W1 Pro, the WinBot can do all of that for you. It has dual direction cross auto spray technology. So that is, it's it sprays the water so it creates enough moisture to get, it still maintains traction on the window, but it also has the multi-fiber cloth as well. So it cleans as it goes uh and held into place by strong suction power of 2800 pa suction as well so it's stuck on that uh on that window it does also have edge detection so it's traditionally a window has a frame so once it hits the frame it goes right okay i've got to go back this way just as so in the same way a robot vacuum it senses the wall it's going to turn back into the center of the room and continue the WinBot will do the same thing. It'll uh, detect not only the frame, but also has the ability to detect frameless edges too. So it does have these sensors. So I know a lot of pool fences, even shower screens have that edgeless design. So no frame there. Uh, The WinBot can detect where the end of the line is there and then turn around and keep going back the other way. It has a 60 mil reservoir on board and a specially designed microfiber cloth So it keeps things moist for a higher quality clean uh, and really does uh, really power through the the windows. You can do something else rather than cleaning your windows. It's also, it's a safety thing too. I think there are a lot of customers who may have really tall windows or second-story windows. If you can attach this from inside and let it do its thing and then take it or maybe instead of you having to go and clean the top of a tall window, which would have required a ladder, you can just put this at the bottom of the window, if you can reach it, and then it'll clean the whole window, all the way to the top and all the way back down. It'll do it for you. Now, it's got these driving treads underneath. It's also got really precise gravity settings. When well, you need that, you're on a, you're sideways on a window. Uh, so when all that's combined with the strong suction, you get that firm grip and the firmer wiping action on the glass. You got to remember, it's cleaning, it's spraying, cleaning, scrubbing, doing all of that. Uh, the unit can also, of course, be controlled remotely by the Ecovacs app. So you can get on with doing other stuff uh, and you can monitor the clean and you can even control it remotely. So really good of Ecovacs has already released this into the market and this they've done, been doing research on their robotics products already is the result of this amazing research and development. But they've poured all of that into this window cleaning robot that's going to get your windows spick and span. The WinBot W1 Pro, it's available now, priced at 799 bucks. You can buy it from Bing Lee stores and online from JB Hi-Fi. Uh, you can also buy it online at Bing Lee, Robot Specialist, Amazon, eBay, and ecovacs.com forward slash au. So check that out. WinBot W1 Pro from Ecovacs, the robot that cleans your windows. You want to read about it? Check it out at techguide.com.au. You're listening to Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. It's a new year and our digital generation continues to see a rise in cybercrime and data breaches. Don't leave your devices without protection or your personal information open to exposure. It's time to have a plan to keep your devices and personal information protected. Save your time and money should the unthinkable happen and your devices are at risk to cyber threats like malware, ransomware, or viruses, or your personal information being exposed to cyber criminals looking to trade your details on the dark web. With Norton 360 Platinum, if you become a victim of identity theft, you'll have access to their dedicated identity restoration specialists to help you address your identity theft claim and help you resolve it. Norton 360 Platinum is available now at Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi, or online at au.norton.com. All your tech questions answered. This is the Tech Guide Help Desk. Yes, the Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you by our good friends at Belkin, belkin.com forward slash AU. If you're after a a MagSafe charger, you may want some noise cancelling earbuds. Belkin has got you covered there. You might have, you want a three-in-one wireless charger for all your Apple devices, a multi-port dock for your computers to connect monitors and other peripherals. Belkin has got you covered along with other products like cables, and Thunderbolt Docks, which I've just mentioned, but also, too, uh, the the MagSafe products, charging stands, you name it, portable batteries as well. So the power banks to charge your mobile phone and other devices on the move. Belkin's got you covered. Belkin.com forward slash AU. I've got to ask an interesting question, actually. Actually, this was an email sent to me by mistake. I had a guy uh, saying, I heard you on your show on Saturday morning on 2GB talking about a laptop checklist. And I said, well, for a start, you've got me confused with Charlie Brown, who does 2GB on Saturday mornings, but he's, I can help you anyway. So I wrote back to this guy uh, and I gave him my own laptop checklist, which is I often get asked, what's a good laptop to buy? That's really hard question to answer because I don't know how you're going to use it and where and why and when you're going to use it. So here are the things you need to ask yourself and that is including to decide the screen size, for example, are you going to use it for editing, gaming? So if those are the questions, if they're your answers, then a bigger screen would be desirable. If you're using it just for emails and Word Word docs and little things like that, screen size, you could probably get away with a smaller screen. Processing power, again, leads to asking the question, how are you going to use it? Are you going to be editing 8K video on the move? Are you going to be playing the highest in end, high-end games? Then you'd be looking at probably the better processes. But if you're, again, mid-level user, the occasional editing, the occasional game, uh, the email browsing, then you probably don't need the biggest, the best and greatest processor. You probably get middle or maybe slightly above middle on the processing side. How much storage do you want? Storage and memory are two different things. Memory is your random access memory. That's RAM. So what that is, is your computer's short-term memory where that can let you run multiple apps at the same time. So the more RAM you can afford, the better. Storage is another thing. So storage is what you want to store on the computer, on the drive, whether you want the traditional platter drive, the traditional hard drive, or what's becoming even more popular now is the SSD drive, solid state drive, which is basically still a lot of storage, but it's basically like a memory card, which means the computer can be a lot thinner, lighter, and you can access that data even faster. And of course, the other thing to think about, things like connectivity, do you need a Thunderbolt, do you need a Thunderbolt port to, to to connect an external monitor? Do you need a HDMI port to connect your TV? Do you need USB-C? Do you need a memory card slot? So they're the other little things you need to look at. Uh, and if you can address all those things, answer those questions, then you're in pretty good shape to choose a laptop. that is our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you made it to the end of the show. Uh, if you need to find out any more about what we've already spoken about, you can see it, of course, at techguide.com.au. Please get in touch with us as well. We'd love to hear from you. Email is info at techguide.com.au or click on the Ask Stephen icon on the right-hand side of the site and that too will direct an email my way. We want to give a special thanks, to our great sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you, your family, and your devices safe online. Please support the great sponsors who support the Tech Guide podcast. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.